0: you so much for being here this evening, and uh, I wish, I really wish, that I would have thought of that. That would be a classic prank to play on Pastor Vanderhart, <laughs> but we didn't think of that. If I would have just known. <laughs> Thank you so much for your prayers and concerns for my wife. She is home and uh, getting better. When she has a, an episode like this morning, it kind of hits her out of the blue. It takes her a while to bounce back, but uh, she is, she's doing okay and it'll just take her a day or two to bounce back. But I so appreciate your love and your concern and and your prayers for her. And by the way, it really bothers her to be any kind of an imposition on the service. And so that's so so I, I, I know that I know you understand. And so thank you for your patience and for your flexibility and, and your support. We're in Second Timothy tonight, if you have a Bible want to turn there, Second Timothy chapter three. We are discussing what is called here perilous times. Perilous times in the last days. I'll read you like I have every week here for several weeks, the first five verses of 2 Timothy 3. And we are, um, oh, two-thirds of the way through, and I may not get to all of them before going to my next series, but let me read for you 2 Timothy 3, beginning in verse 1. Paul writes, This know also, that in the last days, perilous, denying the power thereof. From such, turn away. This evening we're going to focus on that little word, fierce. Fierce. In the last days, in the perilous times, men are going to be fierce. We're going to talk about this this evening. I've entitled it, Don't Be Unreasonable. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your love, your blessing, and thank you for this place called Hope Baptist Church. Lord, has been so good having this place this where we can come and we can we, be recharged for our week. We can be encouraged. We can share in sweet fellowship. And Lord, we can challenge to serve you. I pray, Spirit of God, that you'll meet with us tonight and give to us what we need. Lord, we have a responsibility before you, that's to worship you and to love you first and, and foremost. But then we are to share your love with those around us. But Lord, more and more... It's getting challenging out there because men are increasingly fierce when it comes to the gospel. So, Lord, I pray that you'll bless tonight. Lead us. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Fierce. Well, as always, I took the word, looked it up, and here's what I found. It means savage, wild, impetuous. And it's the only time in the Bible this particular Greek word is used. So it's a little challenging when you're doing a word study if i only used one time because you can't compare it to with other words in the Bible because it's the only time. But there are some comparable words, words that are associated with this, in which case I follow those. The, similar to the word fierce is the word translated unmerciful in Romans 131 that says, without understanding, Covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable and unmerciful. And wouldn't you know it, that word is only used one time in the Bible as well. But it has a, as, as a similar understanding as the word fierce, unmerciful. This uh, this this nature that that the world is going to take on in the last days, in Second Thessalonians chapter three and verse two. I found the first of several examples of what I believe is being described in this word, fierce. I'll read it for you, Second Thessalonians 3, 2, it says, And that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for all men have not faith. When I think of someone that is fierce, fierce, I see someone like I've seen on the, the news here in the last days, where they are in somebody's face, just nose to nose, and they're screaming as loud as they can in the other person's face. The other person tries to say something, but the person that is screaming just gets louder and louder and more vehement what they're saying. It's not the content that's important. It's the fact that they're louder. That's what seems to be the dominating effect today. Who can be the loudest? Who can overtalk? Everyone else. And in that, you don't have a dialogue. You no longer have a debate. You simply have something that, quite frankly, becomes unreasonable. I read an article entitled, Shouting to Win an Argument. The field of winning arguments have revealed that shouting louder than anyone else is still the best way to leave an argument in triumph. Long presumed to be the best method, shouting louder than anyone, has been used by the vast majority of the human race since the dawn of time. However, up until recently, it has lacked the backing from some experts in the field of argumentology. I didn't know there was an argumentology. Speaking at the launch of a research paper outlining why screaming at the top of your lungs in an aggressive and exasperated manner is without doubt the superior tool in a person's argumentative arsenal, Professor So-and-so claimed his work on the subject was definitive. In other words, I'm right, he said. (laughs) Screaming. Well, that idea took me to another verse. In 2 Peter 2 and verse 2. It says, but these, as natural brute beasts, made to be taken and destroyed. Brute beasts. Now, this word is used a couple times in Scripture. Brute beasts. Well, I looked it up. It's an interesting word. It's a combined word, uh, combined with the word a or a, meaning the opposite of or not, and logos meaning an expression. And we talked a lot about this in John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning was the Logos. In the beginning was the Word. In the beginning was the expression of His Father. When Jesus came, He said, in the beginning was the Word. Well, what was the Word? The Word is Jesus, and what was Jesus? He came to be an expression to the world of His heavenly Father. So that's what the word Logos uh, means here, an expression. It means reason. It's also translated the Word. So, you put these two together, a, which means the opposite of, and logos, meaning expression or reason, and you have not reason or not reasonable. As Jesus is the expression of his Father as the Word, these fierce brute beasts become an expression of their Father as well, the devil. In 2 Peter 2.10, But chiefly them that walk after the flesh, in the lust of uncleanness and despise government. Presumptuous are they, self-willed, they're not afraid to speak evil of dignities. Whereas angels, which are greater in power and might, bring not railing accusation against them before the Lord. But these, as natural brute beasts, made to be taken and destroyed, speak evil of the things they understand not. Did you catch that? They speak evil of the things they understand not. They don't understand it, so they talk it down. And shall utterly perish in their own corruption. Described here in these brute beasts are those who are carnal and lustful, slandering authorities. Again in Jude chapter 1 verse 8 and following, Likewise also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities. Yet Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke thee. But these, notice, speak evil of those things which they know not. But what they know naturally as brute beasts, in those things they corrupt themselves. So here we see these brute beasts are corrupt and fantasizing, slandering authorities. They speak evil of those things they know not. It's interesting how some of the loudest voices are out there today are the ones that know the least. Some of the loudest voices are the ones that don't choose to study. They simply said, but we know right. Well, tell me why you knew right. Because we're right. Well, tell me why you're right. Because we're right. Help me out here. First of all, in this trying to understand what this fierce... Is in the last days. I believe that brute beasts is one of the descriptions. Another one is found in Matthew chapter 8 and verse 28. It says, And when he was come to the other side into the country of the Gergesenes, there met him two possessed with devils, coming out of the tombs, exceeding fierce, so that no man might pass by that way. And this particular word is a close associate of fierce. Here it's exceeding fierce. This, this demoniac, this man is possessed with the devil. Here we have two of them in Matthew. Two demon-possessed men. It says they're exceeding fierce. Well, how fierce are they? Well, the book of Mark describes it. Mark 5, 1. And they came over unto the other side of the sea, into the country of the Gadarenes. When he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him, one of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit, who had his dwelling among the tombs. And no man could bind him, no, not with chains, because they had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces. Neither could any man tame him, and always day and night he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. But when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him. He cried with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou son of the most high God? I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. And he said unto him, Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. He asked him, What is thy name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he besought him much, that he would not send them away out of the country. Isn't it interesting? Here these these demon-possessed men are said to be exceeding fierce. What is the description of those in the end times? Fierce. Fierce. And here we see that possession of the demon made them fierce. Third description, I believe, of this fierce is found in Daniel 7, verse 19. Then I would know the truth of the fourth beast, which was diverse from all the others, exceeding dreadful, whose teeth were of iron as nails of brass, which devoured, break in pieces, and stamped the residue with his feet, of the ten horns that were in his head, and of the other which came up, before whom three fell, even of that horn which had eyes, a mouth that spake very great things, whose look was more stout than his fellows. I beheld, and the same horn made war with the saints, prevailed against them, until the Ancient of Days came, and judgment was given to the saints of the Most High, And the time came that the saints possessed the kingdom. Thus he said, The fourth beast shall be the fourth kingdom upon earth, which shall be diverse from all kingdoms, and shall devour the whole earth, and shall tread it down and break it in pieces. Of course, we're talking about the Antichrist reign here. The rule of the Antichrist. Fierce. Fierce. The fierce reign of the Antichrist. And then fourthly, in Luke 23, verse 4, another description, which I believe of this word, is then said, Pilate, to the chief priests, to the people, I find no fault in this man. And they were more fierce, saying, He stirreth up the people, teaching throughout all Jewry, beginning from Galilee to this place. They, the religious leaders, were fierce. The chief priests, in accusing Jesus, were fierce. Now, isn't it interesting the company in which they have found themselves? They have found themselves in the same comp- comp- company as the demoniac of Gadara. The same country, uh, 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 comp- company as the Antichrist. These these religious leaders. In Matthew 27:17, it says, "Therefore, when they were gathered together, Pilate said unto them," Whom will ye that I release unto you, Barabbas or Jesus, which is called Christ? For he knew that for envy they had delivered him. Even this wicked, heathen Herod knew that the reason these religious leaders were so upset was because of sinful envy in their hearts. Isn't that interesting? They who were to have a testimony of God before the heathen, we're acting worse than the heathen, blinded by envy. So, in the end days, the end, in the end times, these perilous times, apparently we're going to see people and have confrontations with people that are to be described like these brute beasts, like, like those who are controlled by the devil, like the Antichrist himself, and those that are blinded by envy. So what's the opposite? If this unreasonableness spirit is in the end days, what does God expect from us? What kind of a nature should be in the hearts of believers? If we're going to have any kind of a light that shines, what is that light to be? Well, obviously, it's to be different than the world. If that's the case, then why are we so oftentimes trying to react to the world like the world? Well, if they're going to scream, I'm going to scream louder. If they're going to raise their voice, I'm going to raise my voice. If they're going to say this, I'm going to say this louder. I thought about this in preparing for this message. Now, there is this philosophy to where we just can't let let the world roll over us. And I understand that. I don't want the world to roll over us. But what would Jesus do? And I don't say that flippantly. I mean, seriously, what would Jesus do? When were the times that Jesus got upset? And when he did, what was his response? Well, let's think about it. He responded in the temple when he came in and he found the money changers there. Did Jesus have a debate with them? Did Jesus try to out-talk them, out-shout them? No. He beat the tar out of them. This was not a debate. This was no debate. He's going to purge the temple of these money changers. This is the house of his father. And they were defiling it. When Jesus preached, he preached to the Pharisees. He was not over-talking them. He called them exactly what they were. Hypocrites! What are we to do as believers? Let's just take a look here and see what God says. Fierce. Unreasonable. Notice in Romans 12:1, I beseech you, Paul says, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. <clears throat> it's reasonable. The word reasonable is, where we get the word, or where, the, the Greek word is logikos or logikos logic, cost. We get the English word logic from this, or thinking it through, or reason from this. Um, it means be rational, reasonable, or of the word, reasonable. In Judges chapter 8 and verse 1, it's interesting, And the men of Ephraim said unto him, Why hast thou served us thus, that thou callest us not, when thou wentest to fight with the Midianites? And they did chide with him sharply. And he said unto them, What have I done now in comparison of you? Is not the gleaning of the grapes of Ephraim better than the vintage of Ebiezer? God hath delivered into your hands the princes of Midian, Oreb, and Zeb. And what was I able to do in comparison of you? Then their anger was abated toward him when he had said that. <laughs> now, I just picked out a little bit of the story, but this is an amazing story. But, uh, but Ephraim was not called to go in and finish off the battle. Ephraim had done some amazing work and taken and winning, the, uh, winning the, these kings, Midian, Oreb, and Zeb. But when it came time for the actual focus, uh, Midian was, they didn't have time to bring uh, Ephraim in. And so when the, when the battle's all over and the dust is clearing, Ephraim comes in finally and they says, "Why didn't you call us?" And they were angry. In fact, they brought their weapons. They were so angry. And wisely, wisely, the leader says, hey, listen, what have we done in comparison to what you did? My goodness, we didn't do anything like you did. You took the kings. What was he doing? He was presenting a reasonable defense. A reasonable defense. What we see in the Bible, that God's men are to be blessed with reason. They are to reason things out. Which is your reasonable service? The reasonable man gives himself unreservedly to God. Which is your reasonable service? What is your reasonable service? To present your body as a living sacrifice? To lay your body down for Christ, to be used however he so chooses, wholly acceptable unto God. In Second Chronicles 17, verse 12, And Jehoshaphat waxed greatly, and he built in Judah castles and cities of store. And he had much business in the cities of Judah. And the men of war, mighty men of valor, were in Jerusalem. And verse 16, and next him was Amaziah, the son of Zikri, who willingly offered himself unto the Lord. And with him, 200,000 mighty men of valor. He offered himself to the Lord. He stood and said, Lord, I volunteer. I volunteer. I give you me. Not, I give you what I have. I give you me. This is the reasonable service. This is me laying my life on the line. This is me saying, God, you can have me. God, not just my tithe on Sunday mornings. God, you can have me. I put myself in the plate. I'm giving you me. Do with me whatever you want. Take me wherever you want. Help me say whatever you want me to say. In 1 Peter 2, 2, As newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby. The word, word, here, is the same word as reasonable. Logikos. Sincere milk of the logikos, that which is reasonable, the word of God, that ye may grow thereby. We're supposed to desire it. This means to intensely crave it intensely crave it, like what I do over my wife's desserts. Intensely crave it. I can't have her bringing all these cookies home on Wednesday. I can't, because I intensely crave them. But I'm to intensely crave God's Word. I'm to have that desire, that longing, that in the morning when I wake up, I can't wait to get in the living room to open up God's Word. That's the kind of desire he's talking about here. In Psalm 119, verse 9, Wherewithal shall the young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word? Verse 11, Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. Verse 162, I rejoice at thy word as one that findeth great spoil. The reasonable man surra- saturates himself in God's word. He saturates himself. This is what's reasonable. This is, this is what's well thought out by a believer. This is the man who says, you know what, I'm going to think this through and come to a logical conclusion. If I'm going to please God, then I need to give Him my all, which is me, and I need to, sriracha, sriracha, I need to saturate myself in God's Word. He gives other examples of reason. In Proverbs 15:1. a soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. The reasonable man answers carefully and gently. This is David coming to judge foolish Nabal. Remember Nabal? Remember Nabal's wife, Abigail? Nabal had all this wealth, and David and his men were out, and they were exhausted, and they were hungry. His men came to Nabal and asked for some food. And he ran them off, was angry, wouldn't give them anything. 1 Samuel 25, 23, and when Abigail saw David, She hasted and lighted off the ass and fell before David on her face and bowed herself to the ground, fell at his feet and said, Upon me, my Lord, upon me, let this iniquity be. And let thine handmaid, I pray thee, speak in thine audience and hear the words of thine handmaid. When Nabal refused to give, it irritated David so much. He said, Mount up, guys, we're going to get Nabal. And they all put their swords on. And they went out to get Nabal and they were going to destroy him and all of his property. His wife, Nabal's wife, met him, met David. And she had a whole caravan of supplies for David. Why? Because she reasoned in herself. The reasonable man answers carefully and gently. In Proverbs 15, verse 18, A wrathful man stirreth up strife, but he that is slow to anger appeaseth strife. The reasonable man is slow to anger Abram and Lot. In Genesis 13, 7, there was strife between the herdmen of Abram's cattle and the herdmen of Lot's cattle. And the Canaanite and the Perizzite dwelled in the land. Perizzite and the Canaanite were some of those to whom God's people were to be a testimony. And here, God's people are fighting. And Abram said unto Lot, let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, between my herdmen and thy herdmen, for we be brethren. Is not the whole land before thee? Separate thyself, I pray thee, from me. If thou wilt take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if thou depart to the right hand, then I will go to the left. Of course, this is an incredible humility on Abram's part. Saying to Lot, "said listen, let's not have this fighting. We're brothers, let's get along in this. And if, you, if we're going to separate. If you want to go over here, you can go over here. If you want to go over here, go over here. Of course, one of those was the well-watered plains of Sodom. Oh, so nice and green, lush, the desert over here. And Abram said, said, you can have what you want. Of course, Lot picked the, the well-watered plains of Sodom. Because the reasonable man is slow to anger. The reasonable man demonstrates love. We see in Proverbs ten, twelve. hatred stirreth up strifes but love covereth all sins. A Jew was traveling to Jericho and was robbed. Jews had been hateful to the Samaritans. And of course, remember the story. Here's this man, he's bleeding and dying. And these religious people come by and they look at him, scoff at him, and walk on by. But this low-life Samaritan, (laughs) at least that's what the Jews called him, low-life's dogs, he saw him, he knelt down, he tended to his wounds, he took him to an inn, paid for his lodging, paid for his food, and also paid for him to be, have received care. In Luke 10, 33, but a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him, and went to him, and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn, and took care of him. What is he thinking? What is this Samaritan thinking? This is a Jew. That very Jew may have said some horrible things about him. That very Jew may have called him a dog. That very Jew may have offended his entire family. Love. Covereth a multitude of sins. By the way, I for one am grateful for that, because when Jesus looked to me, his love was forced to cover a multitude of my sins, just like yours. In Proverbs 28, 25, we see the reasonable man trusts the Lord. He that is of a proud heart stirreth up strife, but he that putteth his trust in the Lord shall be made fat. Trusting in the Lord. And thirdly, when, when fierce, when that nature that we see in the world becomes humbled. You see, that's, that's to be God's end of the story. In the perilous times, there's all these characteristics of these wicked people. But God doesn't just walk away and says, that's the way they are. There's nothing we can do about it. Just, just leave them in their wicked, heathen state and walk away. That's not really the point of the story. We are to go into the world that includes some fierce men and share the love of Christ with them. Remember the wicked king named Manasseh? Of all the kings in the Bible that are notoriously wicked, Manasseh rated right up there. I mean, he was a horrible, horrible, horrible man. But in 2 Kings 21, beginning of verse 1, it says, Manasseh was 12 years old when he began to reign, and reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Hephzibah. And he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, after the abominations of the heathen, whom the Lord cast out before the children of Israel. For he built up again the high places which Hezekiah's father had destroyed. He reared up altars for Baal, and made a grove, as did Ahab, king of Israel. And worshipped all the hosts of heaven and served them. In other words, he worshipped the sun, the moon, the stars. In Second Kings twenty-one verse eleven, because Manasseh, king of Judah, hath done these abominations, and hath done wickedly above all that the Amorites did. Did you catch that? He did worse than the heathen Amorites did, which were before him, and hath made Judah also to sin with his idols. Chapter 21, verse 16 Moreover, Manasseh shed innocent blood very much, till he had filled Jerusalem from one end to another, beside his sin, wherewith he made Judah to sin, and doing that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. Manasseh had a proud rage, fierce rage against God. Whatever God said, Manasseh did the opposite. Whatever God had established in the nation, Manasseh destroyed. But in 2 Chronicles 33, beginning in verse 11, Wherefore the Lord brought upon them the captains of the host of the king of Assyria, which took Manasseh among the thorns, and bound him with fetters, and carried him to Babylon. When he was in affliction, he besought the Lord his God. Who? Manasseh, this wicked, wicked, wicked king. Assyria captured him. They took took him through the thorns. I tend to believe they tortured him with thorns. They took and they put him in prison, in affliction, in prison. And in that state, he besought the Lord his God. And he humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. And he prayed unto him. And he was entreated of him. And heard his supplication. And brought him again to Jerusalem into his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord, he was God. Now after this, he built a wall without the city of David on the west side of Gihon in the valley, even to the entering of the fish gate compassed about Ophel and raised it up at a very great height and put captains of war in all fenced cities of Judah. And he took away the strange gods and the idol out of the house of the Lord and all the altars he had built in the mount of the house of the Lord and in Jerusalem and cast them out of the city. And he repaired the altar of the Lord and sacrificed thereon peace offerings and thank offerings and commanded Judah to serve the Lord God of Israel. This is Manasseh we're talking about one of the wickedest Kings because he humbled himself before God God heard his cry and God forgave him and raised him up in leadership once again and I in my flesh say God what are you doing don't you remember how wicked he was don't you remember all those horrible things he said Don't you remember how he led the entire country away from you worshiping false gods? Don't you remember? (laughs) And I think God says something back to me like, don't you remember that I'm a merciful God? And if it were not for my mercy, you would be in hell today because of my mercy. Yes, the world can be fierce. It can be fierce. Some of us are scared to death to talk to somebody about Christ for a fear of them getting upset, angry at us. I understand that. <laughs> I understand that. I was door knocking yesterday. I was in... It's just, just a lower area, lower class area. And I was in this apartment complex and I was about three fourths of the way done and this, this uh, low rider car drives over to me and this guy with all this incredible jewelry. Most impressive gold jewelry hanging around. and Tattoos, puts his arm out, he's got one of these baseball caps on and he looks at me and he says, are you soliciting? Well, I had to think twice, because when we say do not solicit out there, we, I've told our folks, don't go to the door. Don't put something on the door. What that means out here is they don't want you at their door. Okay? So I told him, I'm not selling anything. I'm, I'm inviting people to church. He says, I'm spiritual. And you know what? He smiled at me. He drove off, and I was blessed. I was blessed by that. went on because my heart was beating quite <laughs> fast <laughs> at the time. Um, the world can be fierce. But we are to reach the world with love. And if, if, if somebody doesn't look like us or dress like us or talk like us, and we decide they're not worth it, who's going to reach them? And what's worse is when we get fierce like the world. We try to get fierce pushing our way. How ugly. So, don't be unreasonable. You say, but the only way I'm going to get their attention is if I yell louder than than them. Perhaps the way we need to get the attention of the world is by humbling ourselves. Like Jesus did. And then by doing whatever we can do to serve them. What do you think? Let's pray. Dear Lord, you've been so good to us. Thank you for the amazing example you set before us. I pray, Lord, that you might help us to have your heart for the world. Lord, help us to see people in their condition, desperately searching, desperately searching, but oftentimes looking in the wrong places. And Lord, the way they sometimes come across is so offensive. But Lord, help us to see, like you did, that they are in the grips of their master, the devil, and many of them desiring of breaking free from that. They just don't know how. So give us your love, I pray. And Lord, I pray that you might help us to reflect your love to the world, and we'll thank you for it. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.